This is Education Matters, brought to you by the Ohio Education Association. Welcome back to Education Matters. I'm Katie Olmsted, part of the communications team for the Ohio Education Association and your host for this weekly Education Matters podcast. This week, lots of families around Ohio and around the world are sitting down together for holiday meals, talking about their lives, the state of the world, their dreams for the year ahead. And we know at least some families are just talking shop. These are families where at least two generations are working in the education profession, where a child has followed a parent's footsteps into a career in a public school district. And up until this year, Jillian Mazan and her mom, Stephanie Hall, were working in the same school district. Jillian as a middle school English language arts teacher, Stephanie as a speech language pathologist for the past 32 years. Both women sharing the unique challenges and triumphs that come with working in the same district. Both women supporting each other through each school year serving Dayton public school students. Now in her fifth year of teaching, Jillian started working this year in Middletown schools. So no doubt there will be some fresh material and a new layer to the conversation around the holiday dinner table this time around. But first... We asked Jillian and Stephanie to have a conversation with us for this installment in our special A Legacy of Education series. Jillian Mazan, Stephanie Hall, thank you so much for sitting down with us. So exciting, not just to have two wonderful educators on the podcast, but uh, for those of you who are sitting at home and are listening to the audio only, I have two wonderful educators sitting in the same room to talk with me today because you are still very close. Um, Talk to me a little bit about what it's been like for you. I know you were both in the same district for the last four years until this one. Right. It was great having her follow me at Dayton Public Schools. It was like she already had a family there because all my friends have known her since she was in utero. So (laughs) she she had extra parents at many, many buildings throughout the district. So at our opening convocation, everybody was coming up and saying, so they're so happy that she joined us. It was, it was really nice. And as a baby teacher, that was great to have such an immediate built-in support group right from the beginning. It's definitely something that I miss um, this year being in a brand new district. I missed that immediate support. Uh-huh. So it was great being in the same district. We had that immediate bond. We had, you know, it was a, just a phone call away. Of course, she still is, but it was much more convenient then. Have you leaned pretty heavily on your mom as a new educator, uh, just asking for her advice? Definitely, especially within the same district, because as, as much as the people in your life that are not educators try to empathize and understand the way your day went and the problems that arose within your day and your classroom management challenges. No one will ever understand it as well as someone who is also living it. Um, And the best part about having a mom is that it's not a competition. You know, she's not trying to compete with me over whose day was worse. Um, She's just like, wow, that sucks. I can't believe that happened to you today. Um, How is it going to go tomorrow? Um, And my first year teaching, I still lived at home. And I really thank everything for that because I had so many times where I just came home crying. And, you know, having her there 
to just pat me on the back and and sit with me and say, this sucks today, you know, and just be sad with me and know that it was a tough day and sit there and, and know how hard it was for me to wake up and keep going the next day and, and continue to encourage me to push through um, because those first couple years were so hard. And I don't know if I would have made it without her support there all of the time. Um, and that firsthand experience that she had within the same district was, I think, so crucial to that because she just understood it on such another level. <laughs> Stephanie, did you always want Jillian to be an educator like you? Oh, they're both oh, shaking their head. No. Okay. What? There's a story here. I can tell. What's going on? She always wanted to be a teacher. I mean, I I knew I couldn't dissuade her. I mean, my principal at my one of my elementary schools gave her an overhead projector. Um, when we our technology updated, she wrote a note to Mrs. Kidd and asked her if she could have an overhead projector. And she gave her an overhead and bulbs, and Jilly would teach her dad and I upstairs. He was always the bad kid. Nothing prepared me more for teaching than my my dad throwing his papers on the floor saying, I'm not doing this. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, but it's it's a scary profession sometimes. It's just, you know, especially in the inner city, you know, she being a middle school teacher, she got the roughest school in the district. And yeah, we were we were a little worried. I mean, I really feel like she did. A lot of service to her kids in those four years. I mean, she was a really strong new teacher. Stephanie, what what do you love about being an educator? What difference do you make? Oh, I love my kids. If I could just see kids all day, every day, it would be wonderful. The paperwork is getting so out of hand in special education, though. I had a three and a half hour meeting with lawyers today. So that's what gets frustrating. I love having pulled my small groups out. All the kids in the class want to come with me. They don't know what the kids that come with me do, (laughs) but they know that they always have fun and that they're singled out for extra attention. So I just really, I don't know if I would have lasted 32 years in a classroom though. I've never had to do that, you know, type of classroom management because I've just got small groups. And if I go in classes with special ed kids who are, you know, calmer, (laughs) usually. It's a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a big learning curve and there's not a lot of support. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I hear that across the board, those first, those first years are extremely rough. And I feel like I'm just now hitting my stride, like in year five. So, so now that your head's above water, what, <laughs> what do you love about teaching Jillian? I love my kids too. I mean, I know that's a cliche answer, but I love my kids. I mean, they, I truly this year, now that I have hit my stride, I think with content and my management, like, I feel like I'm actually able to enjoy my kids more than I have any other year because I am finally at a place where I have finally leveled out, which is kind of funny because you spend so many years, I think, in those first couple, just like in fight or flight, you know, because you're like, oh, I have so many things to manage. Everything's getting thrown at me and you're just trying to not sink and just constantly keep your head above water. Now that I can finally manage everything and I've got systems in place, it's like I can actually take a breath and 
actually enjoy it and kind of be along for the ride and, you know, let my hair down a little bit and joke with them. And we still get the same amount of things done. And I don't feel like I have to be at school until four o'clock at night, you know, so there's, I'm finally getting some peace with it. And so I think I'm able to have a little bit more fun with them. So it's, it's been good. Unfortunately, while you're finally at peace with your own skills, it's all against this backdrop of what feels just like increasing attacks on the profession. Um, Education, public education, our public educators have somehow found themselves in the middle of these culture wars that they have nothing to do with because we have some, you know, people out there who are are trying to just score cheap political points and control the narrative. What is that like for you? It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Um, And it's demeaning. It, It feels like I have a master's degree and a half. And, you know, I spent years studying child development and I see things, you know, today some NEA actually posted that educators know what their students need and a politician posted that know their parents no more. And Betsy DeVos, Betsy DeVos right. posted that. Well, in this household, um, <laughs> posted uh anyway it it's just it's it's just incorrect um because I studied for multiple multiple years child development and how to apply my love of the content of English language and literature and speaking and listening and citizenship skills to adolescent minds I feel like I know how to reach kids better than their parents when it comes to that content area. And so it's just, it's very frustrating. Um, And I just, it's very sad to see that the nation is just not trusting teachers because I don't know. I'm at a loss for words, honestly. It's just, it's very upsetting. In every profession, teachers teach every profession. I mean, nobody would be anywhere if they couldn't read, if they couldn't speak, if, you know, it all goes back to teachers and we're so undervalued and unappreciated. And, you know, even in, even within our own districts, we have to fight, fight, fight. Every two years, we have to fight to just have a contract that we're not losing more and backsliding, you know, we don't get raises. And it's just like, we're not valued by many. But at the same time, they they can't staff their buildings. Exactly. And they wonder why. You so know, it is uh, November 17th, the day I'm talking to you. Dayton just got a contract. It was right. a hard fight getting this contract and being in the same district together. You guys have been through this. Yep. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what it's like doing that as a family. I mean, when you're both, you know. <laughs> Thinking about maybe going out on the line. That's got to be scary. Yeah, it was scary. Her Was it your first year that we... It, so it was what, right before. Year before your first year, yeah. Um, we got really close to striking her senior year in college. Um, and we were having picnics, union picnics over the summer. She came to all those. Um, had sign, We had signs made up. She participated in all that stuff. 
but it, you know, she wasn't around for when I did go on strike in 92, but it's not fun. You know, it's like, you never catch up financially. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's very stressful. And we were all, I mean, we got, had like an 80 high eighties approval of the, the contract. I think just because everybody's so afraid to, to go out on strike. I mean, it's like, if you're not taking a lot away, then we'll say yes, because we don't want to go on strike. But I think, I think that speaks to the, just the environment right now. Um, And I think, I think it's worth with a giant asterisk saying the environment's actually pretty good in a lot of places around the state. Uh, We have a, a higher amount of union support, a higher amount of support for unions and I think many of us have seen in our lifetimes. So oh, yes. it is a good time to be in a union. Uh-huh. But there was But you always... don't have to be in the union anymore. Yep. Right. So let's we talk about there's been a family. Yeah, we get we got another email today. I got another email today. Have you heard, you know Yes, and some <laughs> districts are not just getting mail in the mail, they're getting emails. Yes. I got and no, not everyone is. This was an email. Yeah, but okay, so let's call this one out. I mean, we are we're talking around what's happening here. We have dark money funded private interests who uh-huh. are trying to trick people into dropping their union membership so that they have all the power and yep. they can continue lining their pockets at the expense of the workers who make their their lives run. Public education. When they take away our power, that's just more power for them. And they know it and they're trying to trick people. And it's also scare tactic propaganda. The things that they're sending in the mail. Yeah. So do you think because Jillian, you have this union background, like as your mom mentioned, from the time you were in utero, you were like (laughs) going to be a teacher, going to be a union member. Do you think you're better insulated from perhaps falling for their tricks well and that's what i that it's funny because we were just talking about that i was saying i feel like i have a little bit of i don't know a a little more understanding than people who are younger that didn't have parents that were involved in a union obviously there are plenty of other unions um but as far as educators and esps um not everyone was able to have that experience so when people are out picketing you know there was a lot of support for example for columbus and i was super excited to see that because sometimes there isn't community support but it seemed like for the most part everyone rallied around and that was awesome because not everyone has that experience of knowing why educators are picketing what they're picketing for like mm-hmm. what what is it actually um accomplishing what is their goal and I just wish more people kind of knew what unions actually do when they're getting that mail. Um, uh-huh. Because I don't know. That's why those one-on-one relationships are so important. So that's why the Ohio new educator program is so important because I can't even imagine how many people would just be saying, Oh, don't join me up. I'll keep my money. If you guys weren't going out there and, you know, making contact with all these new people. Yeah. Stephanie, do you wish there was an Ohio new educator program around when you were entering the profession? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, I didn't even know what, yeah, anything about the union when I went in. My mom and dad, neither one of them were in a union and I knew nothing. I just knew you either, you paid your money no matter what, you either were fair share or you 
were a member. So it was just a given that I was going to be a member. But yeah, it would have been nice. And I do think that they've, a lot of people have stayed in the union or joined the union because of these guys. So what is the bottom line, Jillian? If you could give the the elevator pitch for the people listening to this, what would you tell people is the value of your union membership? I mean, we veered very far off of um, <laughs> a legacy of education, but I think these are such important conversations to have with two educators who happen to be from the same family. So what is the value of union membership? I think for me, it's connection. I think it boils down to connection. And I think there's multiple facets of that, but even just having um, a voice or someone to look back at your contract with you and say, okay, what does this really mean? Or a connection, this management thing is not working for me. How can I fix this? Or a connection to, I'm really struggling. Like I'm just really struggling and I'm overwhelmed. That connection piece. And of course there's all the PDs and member benefits and all of that. But I think it all boils down to just that one word that you have this big network Big so, community. It's a big community. Yeah. Outside of your school. It's it's all the schools, you know. But of course, there was a time not that long ago where it seemed like that was not going to happen anymore. The Senate Bill 5 fight, uh, 2011. Both of you have memories of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was a sophomore in high school. Yes. <laughs> and and she still re- she remembers that. It was very stressful. Very it was stressful traumatizing <laughs> to watch. I mean, as someone who knew that they wanted to be a teacher and I had, you know, both of my parents upset and concerned. And I just remember you being so upset every night. And it seemed like on the news there's something every single day and just the attacks and it it was constant. I mean, I can't even describe it, how upset you were. Yeah, that's not good. It's almost up there with being on strike. It's yeah. like it just was scary what they could take away if they get enough support. But for you, Stephanie, that was a, a call to action. You were you were making calls, you were trying to tell people what was going on, right? Yep, yeah. We were phone banking, yeah. And the one thing that was like very eye opening for me as a kid is that it wasn't just the teachers unions, it was everybody and everybody came together and everybody did something like they actually made an impact and they stopped it. Did it give you pause about maybe entering the profession, knowing that this was the landscape you were maybe walking into? You know, there were a few moments where I I flip flopped for like a hot second. There was like a moment in college where I was like, I'm just going to be an English major. And it was like a hot semester and that and that was it. And then I just flip-flop back. So really, I mean, we have all had our moments, I think, but they're blips on the radar. And it seems like it's just in your blood with your mom <laughs> in the profession, your dad in the profession. Yeah, you are what you see, I guess. I know we're running short on time, but that brings up a really good point about um, we need more educators in Ohio. We have a recruitment problem. We have a retention problem. We have a problem where we are having difficulty attracting and retaining educators of color. Do you have any thoughts on how we can get more people to not necessarily follow family footsteps, but maybe follow your footsteps into the profession? It just needs to be a sustainable career. I mean, the 
And I was talking to my friend actually earlier today because um, she just had a baby and she's like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to come back. And I'm like, I respect that decision because sometimes it's just too much. And for some people, it's just not sustainable. And it's at different points in their lives, it might not be sustainable. I think teaching used to be like a lifelong career for a lot of people. Uh And I think the landscape, the way it is now, I really don't know if a lot of people see it that way. And so I think if, if we're talking about teacher retention, we really need to start thinking about how do we make it a sustainable career for teachers in the first place, because... And not make it so hard. It's so hard on these new teachers with the RESA and the constant evaluating of them, just walkthroughs yeah. by everybody and their mother. You know, like, not only do the administrators do walkthroughs, but other peers do walkthroughs on you. It's just a lot. I, I think our expectations of what teachers are expected to do are, it's just unsustainable. People have no idea what teachers do if they're not a teacher. I, I would love to say that I I hope I won't burn out and I, I don't plan to, but if if the pressures of this profession are continuing with um, kind of where they're at, I don't know if it's really going to be a sustainable career for any of us. And so I think that we have to start there first. It's a really sombering thought, but I think such an important conversation to have. It does strike me that uh, the dinner conversations in your house must be something because both of you are so important and so passionate. (laughs) (laughs) We have lots of stories. Oh, yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and having this conversation with me. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. If you are carrying on the family business by being an educator and you'd like to share your story, or you have another idea for something you'd like to hear here on this podcast, send me an email at educationmatters at org. Next week, we're taking a step back in history to learn more about some of the exalted educators after whom OEA's awards and scholarships are named. Our teachers for this lesson? Some of the very educators who worked right alongside them. Until next time, stay well. Stay well.